Miles, you ready to record? Record? We're at New York Comic Con. It's after the second day. I was hoping to just fall the hell over. Well, I mean, you could fall over, but we're recording an episode. We talked about this. What are we even going to record? We didn't prepare anything. I don't know. I figured that Russell Dodderman and Chris Anka could just fill in the blanks. Hi! What?! I'm Rachel Edgerton. And I'm Miles Stokes. And we are here to explain the X-Men. Because it's about time someone did. Welcome to the 27th episode of Rachel and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, outs, and retcons of our very favorite superhero soap opera. We are here with Russell Dodderman and Chris Anka at New York Comic Con in a hotel room around a crappy USB microphone, so apologies for the audio quality. We were just hoping to have a conversation uh, with you guys about the work you're doing, what it's like to work on X-Men, Cyclops' various facial expressions or lack thereof, and that sort of thing. Thank you guys again so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. It should be fun. So, where do we want to get started? We've had guests before, but we've never we had, had two never at had once. We've never had two at once. This, you're making it sound really tawdry. It's audio only. The listeners have no idea what's going on. So, neither <laughs> <laughs> <Neither> do we. <laughs> Yeah, this is the least outlined episode ever. So I guess we'll start by, we can introduce you guys, or you can introduce uh, yourselves, talk about what you're currently working on, what you've been working on. And and what in particular your favorite series are, or the things that brought you to X-Men, assuming that you've been interested in the series as readers as well as creators, or if just as creators, how you ended up drawing them. I'm Russell Dodderman. Uh, right now I'm drawing Thor at Marvel, the new female Thor. That's um, awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, before that I was doing Cyclops, and I've been crazy about the X-Men my whole, you know, I was eight years old when X-Men the Animated Series hit, so I was the perfect age to be completely sucked into that. That got me into the comics. Those are the comics I've collected and read since then, so it's all about X-Men. And I think you'd mentioned in an email a while back that you're a Generation X. Oh, yes. That was also, like, I got in at issue number one for that, and that was my series. Chris Bacciolo is one of my favorite artists ever. And it also had a lot of Banshee love, which I always oh, appreciate. Yeah. And I love Banshee. He's one of my favorite characters, too. And uh, Chris? Yes, I'm Chris Anka, and I am drawing Uncanny X-Men. So no pressure there. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even heard of that, though. No, it's, what is this the thing that's new? Then before that, I was drawing Wolverine. Then I drew X-Men. Drew a little bit of Wolverine in the X-Men. Everything else in between. So they've just been jumping me around. You've been doing X-Factor covers, too, right? Yes, X-Factor covers and X-Force covers. If it has an X on it, I've been on it. How did you get pulled into that? You mean career-wise or just the X-Men? Uh, well, X-Men specifically, but career-wise X-Men, as well. I've been, you know, everyone growing up in the 90s watched the show. Sure. I watched every show you know, afterwards, X-Men Evolution, Wolverine and the X-Men. Which one is your favorite? I think for what it is, X-Men Evolution, because it's very mm-hmm. self-contained, so it's very easy to follow. Cool. But for outside of that, the original, because it's actually correct. It also had the, the best opening theme ever, yeah, as I, we I, see yeah. this all the time. I say that to myself as I'm drawing X-Men. <laughs> like, the one time I, get, I got to draw Peter Parker, I was just singing the Peter the Spider-Man theme from the '90s cartoon the entire time. Have nice. you heard the Power Glove cover of it? No. Oh, oh. it's phenomenal. They did a whole they out. did a whole album of metal covers of Saturday morning cartoon themes. I kind of got into X Men kind of backwards because I started with Ultimate X Men. Did you go back and? Oh yeah, yeah, because then I did that and I got into like Civil War and all that jazz, and then I was reading X Men events. And I, mm-hmm. I came to X Men very encyclopedic, not very much passion based. So I was like, mm-hmm. I wanted to know everything that was happening. So I read everything. There's so much. Exactly. And then it's kept going backwards and backwards until getting hired on to it kind of made me love them more. But I was, I was always aware of everything that was happening because I wanted people to, to answer the question about it. And, I, and it sort of came in with like, not Grant Morrison's new X-Men, but the, the teenage new X-Men. Oh, okay. oh so like that, with the Hellions. Yeah, that's my Gen X. 
Max is, is like Hellion and Elixir and Surge. I feel like everyone has a yeah, Everyone has their team. You yeah. guys are new mutants. It's totally new mutants right. for us, yeah. But at the same time, I also came in very much the way you did. I started out reading through Miles and Miles' dad's old back issues in college, and I think I st- actually started with Age of Apocalypse. Jeez. I, I don't know why I started you with that, but yeah, I'm kind of glad a, I did. That was a dubious choice, man. Because <laughs> it was awesome. I loved it. And I still married you. Well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. Okay, so we were talking about this before we, we started recording, um, and I kind of feel like we have to talk about it because obviously this podcast is obsessed with Cyclops. We've ba- made no secrets about that, and you both have drawn Cyclops really heavily. I mean, Russell, you with the Cyclops uh, ongoing, and Chris, you with Uncanny, which is all about Cyclops, Cyclops with a big X on his face. Well, and not only that, but you've specifically both drawn Cyclops well enough in enough detail that I that pages from your respective runs on those have been what I've gone to when I've finally got the chance to do really, really craft wonky posts on the blog about storytelling and nuance in, mm-hmm. in comics. So it's not just that you're drawing a lot of Cyclops, it's that you're drawing Cyclops superlatively. Thank you. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know if it, it could speak for Russell, but I, just, I love Cyclops. So like, there's a lot, of, a lot about him that I'm trying to like, live up to. He, whether or not he's a hero or a villain, there's a lot behind him that you have to try to convey all the time. You can't just drum off the cuff. There's... There's so much history with him, given you know his role within the X-Men, that you have to think about all of that, no matter what the scene is, no matter what he's talking about. There's you can't just like throw him into the situation and just run with it. I mean, recently, especially with the whole Last Will and Testament of Charles Xavier, oh, yeah. there's there's just so much weight to every little thing. So, who would you say going into it? You mentioned you know doing a lot of research, reading through a lot of previous runs. Who are the artists, and what are the stories that have sort of informed your oh, take God. on the character? Probably, I mean, Stuart Eminent draws probably one of the best psychopaths I've ever seen. No, there's not like one person I think who, who's done him right because he, he always changes so much. You know, there's not like a, a quintessential Cyclops to me. There's not like one period where I'm like that's him because he's he's developed so much. In that case, who stuck out at you as doing it right? I think Daniel Acuna does a really good, just sort of you know humanized version of Cyclops. Mm-hmm. He's not so much larger than life. He's very much like a man. I think Terry Dodson does a very good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, oddly enough, you know, it's not what he's known for, but I think he does a very good. Yeah. It's kind of funny hearing you talk about having to think about all the history of it, because when I was doing the Cyclops series, I tried not to think about that at all, because this was the young Cyclops that, you know, didn't have any of that. So I was looking at um, finding model, like, real-world life examples of teenagers and going more that route to find, you know, his body language, and because I didn't want it to look... Like it had any of that, you know, legacy that he has with it, other than the first few issues, you know, that you'd really seen him in in continuity when our series picked up. Right back when he was Slim Summers. Now I remember when we when we interviewed Greg Ruckett, he was kind of saying the same thing yeah. that one of the ways he was handling this young Cyclops was, well, here's a Cyclops without all that history. What do I do with that? The other thing is the only time he was really a teenager in continuity, unless you count things like season one and first class, was during the Silver Age, where everyone looks 30 and is written like Stan Lee trying to write how kids talk these days. Written like they're trying to sell you a car or something, yeah. And they're all in suits. Yes, <laughs> always, the bow ties. The, well, they were all, all in the same suit, too. Yeah. I, I don't remember if we've gone into Rachel's plaid suit theory on the show yet. We have gone into the plaid suit theory, that, they all, that it's just one, one plaid suit that they all pass the pieces of around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say, as much influence as we have on X-Men, we're, we're going to make that one canon. So I guess in terms of the way you guys have been drawing the, the respective books, obviously, Chris, you've drawn a great many characters, and Russell, you've drawn a fewer, but do you have like a favorite non-Cyclops character to draw? I'm just curious uh, who, who that is and, and why. Well, my, my current favorite is the new Thor, but if we're sticking <laughs> X-Men, 
I really loved uh, Hepzibah doing her cat features and the hair and the tail. That was probably my favorite part of doing that book. I, I, I did love your Hepzibah, yeah. Just oh, the way you. her body language with Corsair was phenomenal. I, I, I love the awkwardness out. of the tail and the physical logistics of it, because that's, that's something that doesn't seem to come up a lot. It's just sort of there and convenient. I tried to use and, it as yeah. a third arm, basically, <laughs> for her to caress him with. And she even uses it like that when it's in the um, spacesuit and it's all in metal, which I thought would yeah. be kind of funny. The big metal spacesuit tail was freaking great. I love oh, awesome. that thing. Like, I, I never would have expected that. Most people just have a normal tail sticking out of the spacesuit. But that, that makes perfect sense, of course. Yeah, I, I just didn't think there should be exposed skin, you know, in space. It is space, after all. Yeah. Well, and there's fur, so you wouldn't be able to create a seal anyway. Space tail logic. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> okay, look, we've already established that I have feelings about doing space right, so... <laughs> Um, what about you, Chris? I think it's of no surprise to anyone that it's Emma Frost. And you do an excellent Emma Frost. You Thank do. you. I mean, it's, it's one of the great things because I think with her, you can sort of poke fun of whatever's actually happening uh, because she's, go- she's not going to really get absorbed into whatever the context is. So you always have kind of this third character that's sort of playing like a fourth wall into whatever the situation is. Like with, with the last one, Testament, when they're reading the the will, you just have Emma just cracking up at just how ridiculous this whole. Thing I, I is. love that panel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we were looking at various specific panels doing our video reviews, and like everyone else is all shocked and horrified, and she's like, "Oh, this is so great! Just, this is so rich." That was that was one of our picks of the. Uh, that was our panel of the week. Oh yeah, it was. It's, it's everyone making a serious face, and she just has this elated grin. <laughs> and I will I will toot my own horn that that was entirely me. Brian did not Brian did not write that one. That was I'm like just Emma would not sit here. Even if it was serious, she would still laugh because it's about Charles. Yeah, but sort of the things I love I love about Emma, like for as long as she's been in X-Men, and it's easier to forget, but like the, the Morrison run was ages ago mm-hmm. when she first came on the team. It makes me feel really old. Well, but, when she um, first came on the team, she's been affiliated with the X-Men for much longer. Well, yeah, with Generation X and everything. Totally. But, um, but, but, but yeah, like as long as that's been happening, there's still like Emma Frost at the Hellfire Club, which is just, oh, wait, this is how you're dealing with being yeah. a mutant in the world? Yeah, Emma is kind of a viewpoint character, or a point of entry character in a reader's stand in terms of her relationship to the X-Men, which is something I would never in a million years have landed on, and yet it's totally true. That's interesting, because, you know, previous reader stand-ins we've had have been, like, you know, Kitty or Jubilee, and with Emma, she's, like, the reader stand-in, but for really, really snarky readers. So (laughs) she's the us stand-in. She's the reader stand-in for the readers who are coming in and being like, oh... Soap opera. <laughs> well, exactly. We know we know your tricks, X-Men. Because with, with Kitty and Jubilee, the whole story is about them being indoctrinated into the team and how they mm-hmm. you know how they grow with the team. Emma is about coming in already as an adult and just going, "What is happening here? This, no, this is not good." And it's being other from everybody else. Exactly. She's never. She, her whole story is not about being one of them. She is of the team, but not in the team. Mm-hmm. You know, she will lead them because she knows better. Than uh, one thing that our, our listeners have, have found really interesting so far, like when we've talked to other people, is I guess just what it's like to work in the comics industry uh, working on the X franchise. And um, specifically what it's like to come onto a title and onto characters with so much history and so much fan investment. Um, so, yeah, would you guys mind talking a little bit about kind of where, where you're coming from, where you came from with comics and with X-Men and, and where things have gone? You know, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on, you know, Starjammers and Cyclops and, and all that since I've been reading that forever. And then there's also my sort of redesigns of any of Corsair or any of the Starjammers. I don't know that people are that invested in how they looked in general as opposed to, you know, Chris coming on and redesigning Storm or anything like that. And also you had the new Cyclops, the younger version. So I didn't feel that kind of 
pressure to, from fans or to, to translate or live up to their, you know, expectations of these characters since they were kind of niche characters to begin with. <laughs> As someone with very high Corsair expectations, I just want to say that your version is excellent. Okay, good. Your version is actually my favorite Corsair ever. Oh, hands down. I wanted to modern. Thank you. I wanted to modernize him a little bit. He was a uh, pretty disco, but I kept the facial hair. Oh yeah. I knew I had to keep that. Oh yeah. no, that, that wonderful, terrible, wonderful mustache is like that is Corsair. That's where his power is. If that yeah. thing gets shaved off, then he's not Corsair anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you can't introduce Corsair in either a fight or a shower, you're not doing Corsair right. Yeah. <laughs> well, or a medical exam. I guess Greg knew that because he had yeah. that right ready to go in the yes. script. <laughs> Uh, everything has a lot of pressure to it. I, I kind of mark that the very first thing I do for X-Men is the redesigning of the X-Force. Mm-hmm. And that's right out of the gate, Storm and Psylocke. Thank you mm-hmm. so much for putting Psylocke in pants, by the way. Thank you. Seriously. Uh, that, has been, that has been years in, in the making. and I, I mean, what, so what sort of got me with that one was that it was supposed to be like a Black Ops team. Because the, the, the idea behind that X-Force wasn't really formed yet, I don't think. So when I was on there, I was still kind of thinking about the old X-Force. At least, at least the modern version of the old X-Force, which is the Black Ops unit. I had an image of like Psylocke like going through a vent to drop into like some ambassador's room. And, like that whole image is like she would just be wearing all black. Like there would literally be like no flesh showing. Um, so that's what I was trying to go for. And same thing with Storm. Like Storm just seems kind of weird for a Black Ops team. So I was trying to approach these in a way of like this is a stealth team. Never did I plan that these would be the regular costumes in everything. That's that would have done things very differently at that point. But yeah, from there, you know, I, I think that sort of helped because that's what people knew me for. So I didn't get so much backlash because they sort of knew what I was about. After a while, I think the fan fatigue kind of kicked in. The fact that I'm kind of have my hands in all of the X-Men pods at this point. Then a lot of sort of fan expectations kind of rose up because now they have a a standard for what I should be hitting at. Especially with like, you know, the female X-Men team, X-Factor. Then I did that all new X-Men special. So I I was kind of all over the place with with the X-Men universe and they kept pushing me around. And so it's finally nice to kind of settle down in a book, but it's a book with Cyclops. When Bendis writing it, and it's, it's, it's about Charles deal. Xavier, it's just like, oh, To be fair, is at least, you know, the Bendis writing it is like a one in three odds. Exactly. Um, so yeah, every, like, basically every issue, there's because it's Brian and he knows this is like a big event thing for X-Men fans. He's trying to put in something really heavy each time. That's just going to like mess with a lot of fans. So each issue, he's, he, there's always an apology. Something. <laughs> like with the whole Charles Murray to mistake, he, he put in an apology to me. Like, sorry about what's going to happen to you after this. <laughs> so. You mentioned that you were, you were getting to revisit some kind of classic moments in upcoming issues. And I'm, I don't know if you can actually say this, but I'm, there's one scene in particular I am informally dead certain is the most often drawn scene in X-Men, which is the Summers Family plane crash. I have I, not, I, I have I, not I, gotten there okay. yet. I have some moments about just young Cyclops by himself. It's such a different version of Cyclops than what I'm drawing. It's such a raw, non-controlled version. So that was very interesting to kind of see, especially because it's all about, this whole story is about him trying to lock himself down and control what's happening around him and not lose what semblance of self he still has. Uh, but I have not gotten to the plane crash yet. I am excited. I hope I hope we get there because you have to draw that. We got so, yeah. a tiny glimpse of the plane crash in um, Cyclops number one. Uh-huh. There's a yes. flashback in his visor. That I did, you know, him and Alex falling out of the, the plane. And that was really awesome because that's been done so many times and you yeah. see it over and over again. That was exciting. I'll so. probably retcon it just for the hell of it. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just <laughs> what change are you going to change? 
I'll probably add like Wolverine there. Well, you're, <laughs> oh, God, you're, no. you're an evolution fan. You can do the thing that for me was like the deadly mistake evolution made, which was to give them separate parachutes. Oh, yeah. It's like, why didn't the freaking Which completely ruins the entire <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of but, the flashback and the visor thing, that was yeah, awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that was my desktop for like... That was that's a depressing desktop. (laughs) Depressing but awesome. Just to say, Cyclops. Yeah, exactly. Depressing but awesome. That was written separately as um, I think six separate panels, and I was like, can we do it as a reflection in the visor? (laughs) Can we just make it better and way more memorable and way cooler? Yeah, totally okay. That was fantastic. So I actually want to spin off what you were talking about with with the younger version of the character and also with designs. Um, Russell, you're drawing a Cyclops who is largely out of costume. And consistently out of costume for the first time since maybe like the horrible octopus suit. That polo shirt, by the way, Ra- the the one version that Rachel got, she wears like all the time, and every it time is she wears the it. Most, well, I don't button it all the way up because don't do that. But it's insanely comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cyclops would button it all the way up. Scott he would. He would. And starch it. But, yeah, but, yeah, for sure. He would, but he's also sixteen and Cyclops, and I am I am in my thirties, and then I feel like I've earned the right to unbutton that top button. Yeah, <laughs> just one. Just one. Just, just, just one. He'll <laughs> frown, but he'll be okay with it. I figured Greg had said that, you know, he didn't picture Scott in the uniform for the whole time because, mm-hmm. you know, he's not really fighting for a lot of that uh, stuff. And we'd use the uniform mostly for space and all that. And so I was trying to research vintage clothes, like get a 60s vibe and then feel like try to find out what the modern interpolation of that would be. And then, of course, he would have the shirt tucked in. Of course, it would be buttoned all the way up, and he'd be too serious about it and a little uh, too nerdy about the whole thing. <laughs> One of the things I really like, you mentioned the 60s thing in, in the Cyclops artist, because, you know, you have Scott and you have Christopher Corsair as, as the two main characters, basically, and... In the original comic, Corsair was the one that, at least to a modern reader, feels dated as compared to Cyclops. And I like that it really reverses that. Now Cyclops is the really old school one. I love the way they play off each other in that regard. Yeah, Greg wrote that so well as, you know, Corsair being this, like, amazing Han Solo type that everybody would look up to and want to be. And, like, this is the guy that Scott's like, I wish I could be like that. And he just feels so serious and too quiet and... So you had to make Corsair be this like super hot playboy, like super cool dude. Rachel, should I should I do my mustache again like that? Should I make this happen? The only circumstances under which I will object to the Corsair mustache situation is if we've already discussed costumes for a party and I'm going as Cyclops because there are degrees of pain that I'm not really willing to explore. I have seen Joel and Ellie from The Last of Us, like costumes of them at parties making out, and I think that's worse. It's not worse, but it's still really bad. Perhaps, perhaps. Still unacceptable, but yeah, that is that. That is a line that will not be crossed. <laughs> All right, so because this is an atypical episode, we're structuring it atypically, we asked you for questions for Chris and Russell on Twitter, and we're going to go to those right now. So first of all, and I forgot to write down who'd ask, who asked these, so apologies to all of you in advance. Are there any characters who you think are chronically underappreciated or misunderstood? And I'll add to that, and also any characters who you would specifically like the chance to do more with in that thing. Well, you had, were talking about Cyclops earlier about being an under, you know. I mean, he's, he's misunderstood. I don't know if he's underappreciated. I mean, we got a lot of Cyclops already. But, I mean, you can always do more with Cyclops. You yeah, always, you can do more with him. Like, just getting yeah. in his head nowadays. Like, we don't really talk about, like, really what's going through his head when we really brought him to this point. I feel like that's changing now, though, with, you know, Uncanny and with the Cyclops solo. You're yeah. getting more of a range of him. 
that I think the people that don't appreciate him might appreciate him a little more the way he's being written lately. Yeah. And really just kind of connect the dots of like a like really high strung kid and what happens when that snaps. Yeah. And he gets pushed into something that he's not, that he never was trained to be. I think that helps so much to see both sides, like where he came from and where he is now. And mm-hmm. there, I think there was an issue of Uncanny where they met and they were talking like on a hillside. Oh, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that whole conversation was wonderful to see them Although together. I will raise that, the best thing was the Summer Brothers high five. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. the best. Oh, that I was. loved it so much. And is that a thing we do? No. Missed <laughs> <laughs> the hug. He's like, we'll do it, we'll do it now. Ah, that was so sad. Uh, I mean, in terms of characters I think are misunderstood and characters I want to do more with is Emma Frost. I mean, it's the easiest answer for me in the world because I think about it all the time. Yeah, because I think just I think a lot of people are just so used to her just being the bitch. They don't really understand that she's the mom. And I think that really helps with her because the whole point is that she's a teacher. Yeah. And she's a bitch because she will protect these kids. And that she will do anything to protect these kids. And I, I don't think that side is, has been shown in at least a decade because it's the circumstances of their whole, the whole mutant them. For me, like personally, when I when I read her in Uncanny X-Men, she's not there for Scott. She's yeah. there for these five kids that they brought along. And that even if Scott left, she would still stay there for these five kids. She doesn't care if any of the other X-Men like her or not. She's there to raise these five kids. One of my favorite lines from any musical ever is one that I inextricably associate with Emma Frost which is from Into the Woods and just the, I'm not good, I'm not nice, I'm just right. Yeah, yeah, totally. that is her. That, yeah. that is her. She cuts through bullshit on kind of an astonishing level. Yeah, and I also always enjoy her uh, dynamic with the Stepford Cuckoos because, yeah. yes. you know, obviously they're very close, but they, they give her so much shit mm-hmm. and she doesn't really seem to care. It's clear how much she cares about them, but she doesn't really care what they think of her. And I think that's exactly what you were talking about. Because well, I think they're doing to her what she does to everyone else. And what yeah. she does to herself. They're kind of her inner monologue externalized in some ways. Oh, that's a really good point. It's like Phantom X has the external central nervous system, and Emma Frost has the external internal monologue. Phantom yes. X is like four people now, though, too. Uh, three, but yeah. There was Evil Phantom X, Good Phantom X, Lady Phantom X, and Eva. Phantom X is really confusing, guys. Oh, God, he's the worst. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a cold open someday. Phantom X, totally. It's going to be like definitely a cold open. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> what about you, Russell? I feel like one that gets written inconsistently who's a huge favorite of mine is Rogue. She's so There's so many different parts to her. You have the sassy southern woman. You have the brawler. You have the insecure person who can't touch anybody. And I feel like you always often get one of those and only a few times you get everything. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved her so much. And I, you know, if I ever got to do more X-Men stuff, I'd love to. Which do more version of her do you like? I like all of them. I want them all together. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I remember um, you mentioned, actually, you guys both mentioned that you were uh, into the nineties X-Men cartoon. And for me, like rogue is the character yeah. I remember the most. She's so just out there and over the top. And I, I don't know who, who was the voice actress for her, yeah, but someone like, amazing who has that much vocal range. She's incredible. Oh, she is, she's got that, that little sort of bird to her voice too, that always worked so well and kept it from sounding like a super contrived accent. Oddly enough, the woman who did her voice also voiced Tigra in the short lived Avengers nineties animated oh series. Okay. I can totally see that. Well, sometimes you hear a little rogue and the guy who did Wolverine did Hawkeye. Oh really? Yeah. That's why Hawkeye sounds so weird. Cause he's like this hardcore badass saying Bob. Which is so weird because like, no. Steve Bloom is is Wolverine in my yeah. head. Like we just did the the Claremont Miller Wolverine series, and I realized halfway through that I was just hearing all the narration in Steve Bloom's voice. That that's that's what Wolverine sounds so like. So you weren't hearing it in the weird Australian accent from Pride of the X Men. <laughs> no, no, I was not. 
I do my best to forget that accent when I'm not actively watching part of the or, or the weird semi-Australian accent from Spider-Man and his amazing friends. You gotta remember, Miles, I basically grew up in a box when it came to popular culture. All of the X-Men cartoons that I've seen, I've seen in the last five years. Oh man, yes, yeah, some of them really don't hold up, do they? Spider-Man yeah. and his amazing friends, specifically. Man, with that, what I really can't get over is the whole Firestar discrepancy and how how, how much more fucked up they made her backstory. And, like, Speaking of Emma Frost, Emma yeah, Frost blowing man, up her Yeah, man, that's pony. kind of an event horizon. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what else do we have uh, question-wise? Someone would like to know about your favorite unresolved hanging story threads. Aren't they all? This is X-Men. Literally everything is unresolved. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and change that and say your favorite convoluted X-Men stories and concepts. Because as you may have noticed, we do love those. We do indeed. I don't know about a favorite, but the one that always sticks out to me is the whole Bishop thing. Lucas Mm. Bishop. Yes. Just him being evil all of a sudden. And not like misunderstood, like I need to kill something that I think is going to cause you know, my world strife, but like full on red glowing eyes evil. We went zero to 60 out of nowhere. Well, wait, I mean, wait, so red glowing eyes are evil now? So <laughs> from your previous stats. <laughs> well, yeah, because like in, um, in Uncanny X-Force with him coming back as the, you know, weird, possessed, like obsessed dude, did you design Bishop for that as I well? I did without any of that context. Oh, okay. When Bishop oh. was giving you, they hadn't really figured out what he was doing yet. So I was just giving Bishop and he came back as a shaman. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm trying to like work in kind of some monkness to him. That kind of got scaled back, but it's like, I still thought he was part of the X-Men. So he was going to have a giant X on him. Right. Obviously. Right. They have to have X's on him. I wouldn't know what they were doing otherwise. <laughs> but the context to, to him coming back completely different from the X-Men made no sense at that point. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I did the design, but it was, I was completely far removed from what actually became. I actually really dug that, though, because, you know, yeah, he wasn't an X-Man at the time, but in a way, there's gonna, I think there's always going to be a part of Bishop, even if he's opposing the X-Men, that that's, like, just who he yeah. is, you know? Well, because, I mean, Bishop is kind of the ultimate X-Men fan because yeah. X-Men. exactly. He's, he's us with superpowers and a post-apocalyptic backstory. Well, that's terrifying. Especially to contrast him with, I think it was probably one of his first scenes in Uncanny X-Men when he's like, oh, my God, you're Storm? Like, right, yeah. he was so, like, enamored with these people who were his heroes, you know, to so suddenly shift. Yeah. God, I just realized he's the exact anti-booster gold. Yeah, I never thought of that. You're totally right. He totally is. Now, talking about it, I really miss Bishop as a member of the X-Men. Yeah, like, I like him. Yeah. As a member too. Yeah, like when when I first started reading, it was um, when I first, or I should say, when I first started buying issues on my own because I read my father's collection. Um, was right around the time he showed up, like with him and, and Malcolm and Randall. I still remember his teammates that got offed. It's kind of like X Men has felt weird without Nightcrawler the last few years. Yes, yeah. yes. Like, to me, X Men feels weird without Bishop, and obviously he's a much more recent character, but he just adds so much to that dynamic. In my and I added even Cable a little bit, like actually being one of them. Yeah. Not yeah. just kind of this outlier, like just in Mazai Complex, when you when you see him as a reveal, it was just so badass because you know it's cable. So like yeah. having him on a team just adds a level of just awesomeness. Oh man, see now now I'm like casting all of my dream X-Men right. books. Actually, so you know what? I'm I'm going to preempt the last question. I'll still ask it, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna jump the queue. If you were putting together your X-Men dream team, the ones that you would like to read or write or draw a series about, who do you have and why? I have this ready to go. Yes, excellent. Yes, prepared. <laughs> um, it would be led by Storm, and it would be Storm, Rogue, Beast, Gambit, Wolverine, M, Monet Saint Croix. Oh, Monet, yes. Yeah. And Iceman, and Cecilia Reyes would be the Cecilia Reyes. Yeah. She, she she does not get yes. enough love. That would be my team. You know, 
kind of like the animated series. You got oh, you got nineties, you got nineties, the nineties people plus M and um, Cecilia. I'd be all over that. Now I'm trying to think of like why this specific combination of characters would come together. Like, would it be mission based or would it be circumstance based? Like, where, where, where do well, we go? It would be with a mix. Cecilia Rice never joins the X Men voluntarily. She always has to get roped into it. I would like her to be at the school doing more medical stuff mm-hmm. and like have Beast doing more of the like sciency stuff and right. her being much more um, a bigger version of the school nurse kind of thing. And then <laughs> she gets roped into the the stuff. Maybe she's treating you know mutants, and that's her new. Thing to be doing and she's working out of the school and this is they're all I like the whole school aspect I would want mm-hmm. them teaching and I'd want this to be the team that also goes and does missions and stuff too but I kind of like the idea with yours like it's simply just Storm asks them yeah like Storm put a call out and goes right. I, need, I need you and that they're like alright Storm and you don't say no to that what, what about you so X-Men Dream Team alright it'd be like, so I like very kind of goal-oriented teams where it's very proper and very just like responsibility-based. So it's, it's Cyclops, Wolverine, Magneto, Namor, Emma, Psylocke, Armor, and Storm. I feel like that would last wow. her about 10 seconds before it turned into a brawl. Well, I think yeah. that's the point of it being like, we are here to accomplish something. So who you are doesn't matter. We are all going to, we're going to try to achieve the goal of universal mutant safety. So they're like the away team. That's they're the, the ones that, they're the ones you keep away from the school. I mean, yeah. lineup wise, they're very close to the extinction team. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly because yeah. I love the extinction team because it's very much we're not here to hold your hand. We're here to solve stuff. Yeah, and right. then there's the question that um I think Storm asks, uh, could everyone here raise their hand who's not gone through a phase that could be classified as mostly super villain? <laughs> right, totally. And it's 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 what I think everyone but her and Cyclops still at that point. At that point, yeah. <laughs> Those are the heavy hitters. That's exactly. what you said to save the day. Yeah. To deal with shit. Mm-hmm. Man. I'm curious about Namor on that, though, because Namor is a character whose relationship to the X-Men has always been extremely fraught. I don't think he has a relationship with I think he has a relationship to Emma. Point. And he is he is entirely Emma's lapdog. Yeah. He is he is a sucker for blondes who already yeah. have boyfriends. Yeah. 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 So he's, he is entirely just there on his on her leash. And she's like, do that. And she's like, all right. <laughs> I'll do what you say, but I'll do it in a very haughty fashion. Exactly. I, lo- I love him. He's, he's the best. <laughs> Yo. Is it the king of Atlantis? <laughs> the king of Atlantis. That's one of, my, one of my favorite lines from the entire franchise. <laughs> Speaking of which, something that didn't make it into the video uh, or got cut out was one of the takes was us having a long conversation about how you draw all of the sexy dudes with the sexy abs, oh. but like with variation. And that's amazing because pretty much, as far as I can tell, like a lot of artists have one like attractive dude model and like 30,000 attractive lady models. Your Thor looks totally different from your Corsair and that's so rad. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you so noticed. That. There's a <laughs> wide you. variety of sexy dudes to yeah. uh, model stuff up. As well, there yes. should be. All right, um, we've got one more question though and this is a really important question. This is a question I think has been haunting the X universe for maybe maybe even decades. So someone on Twitter asked, not me, I will point out, and I will screen cap the tweet to prove it. Not me, I'm not on Twitter. How would you redesign Adam X, the Extreme? Holy shit. (laughs) Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Adam X, he is a guy whose secondary mutation is essentially being the encapsulation of everything you found irritating in the 1990s. Yeah, you thought 90s cable was bad? Like, he's got nothing on Adam X. He skateboards, he wears backwards baseball cap, he is a white dude with braids, he can set people's blood on fire or electrocute it, but only if it's exposed to air, so he's 
covered with fucking blades, and he might have been a Summer's brother. Yes, uh, and I was a little sad when it turned out it was Vulcan, because, come on, guys, Adam X, seriously. It was all set up to be Adam X. I would change absolutely nothing. <laughs> I would want him to be exactly as he was in 1995. Don't mess with perfection. Well, I, have, I have one change, and it's to bring him out of the 90s into the modern day, right? So it would replace the baseball cap with a beanie. Okay. <laughs> there you go. And that would fit. Then you got early 2000s. Because you, you, you got early 2000 hipster. Uh, I don't see hipsters doing that. He would bun the collar. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, oh, yeah, bun collar. You see him as a hipster? Because I see well, see, if, like, if, he, if he's such a quintessential mm-hmm. 90s, if you're going to make him now, he would be a hipster That's, now. that's yeah. actually a really good point. Oh, see, I think of him as more of like, less less in like the hipster category and more in sort of the douche bro category. Beanie so, still works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Beanie does still work, but it's, it's a different I can just put it in his back pocket instead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like the, the X-Men lineups you guys came up with, you know, they're off, they're about <laughs> they're to do their mission. They're kicked out of Axe's ass. Or alternately, they're all about to do their mission, and all of a sudden, like, you know, it turns out someone's stowing away like Kitty in the Dark Phoenix saga, except it's Adam X on the Blackbird. And he's like, not yeah. actually stowing away, he just wandered in. So he's like, lost. he's like Lobo. <laughs> the main man just rolls up, he goes, I will fix all of this, get back. Except he's Adam X, so he just falls out of And they're like, wait, who, who is this guy? Have we, have we met this guy? So like, Adam Naramani, is he, wait, is he Shi'ar royalty? I know he's like part Shi'ar, but that's that's the royal family that's last the, name. Yeah. Why wasn't he the main character of Emperor Vulcan, I asked? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so we all hate Gabriel. I, what I want to see for the next series is um, Adam X challenging Vulcan in space. This should be over in a panel. Yeah. He's got that bat. He's dying. Just walk in. Just hit him out. Oh, but what, what, what a panel it would be. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, wait, we have two page spreads. This would be like somehow a 22 page spread. Yeah. Just, no, it would be, it would be like that, that issue of um, Next Wave where it's all one big spread. You have to buy four <laughs> copies of it. Or of a freaking uh, Promethea where it turns into a big poster. No, no, we're not going that high concept. This is, this is just dudes fighting in space. But I do want to clarify that we did, just, yeah. we did just compare an Alan Moore book to Adam X, and I feel really good about it. I would say this, this, is, this is the kind of high concept where high is a double entendre involving <laughs> I'd like to point that there are the, the only controlled substances in our veins right now are alcohol, and to be fair, for me at least, there's kind of a lot. Also totally legal, so. Yes. Okay, so so before we um, sign off, is there anything you guys want to talk about or push? I hear there may be some high-profile books you are each currently working on that people may have heard of. Or things that you want to, like, browbeat Marvel and do. Emma Frost series. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying my hardest on that one. Let, I'll let uh, you know. They, they are okay. getting sick and tired of hearing from me on that. <laughs> like every writer I come to, I'm just like, Emma Frost, Emma Frost? Who, 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 who? It's like, Emma Frost, Emma Frost? So <laughs> I'm trying to get that one going. I will just say that I'm very happy on Thor. And I'm <laughs> very happy to be on that book. And thank you. <laughs> and um, yeah, again, uh, for any of our listeners who don't watch our video reviews, um, where we just I, we just added Thor number one into them because I like it so much. Because um, it was better than any of the other books that came out that week. Thor has a special place in my heart. Walter Simonson's run on Thor is my favorite run of anyone on anything ever. And um, Russell and Jason Aaron's work on Thor right now, it's incredible. Great jumping on point. I'm going to post a bunch of embarrassing Thor pictures of you in the next as mentioned, just so we're clear. None of my Thor pictures are embarrassing. They're all amazing. That is a really good point, but there's definitely one where you appear to be fondling a giant hammer in a movie theater lobby. See, all of my embarrassing pictures will go up when we get to the aughts and we can can pull out the Quentin Choir costume. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. Yeah, I'm just on Uncanny X-Men for now. I'm switching out with Chris uh, Bocello, Baclo. I've never known how to say yeah, his last no, name. You're switching out with him and you don't know how to pronounce his last name. No, I just I read it. Oh, I just man. read it all the I time. I think it's Bachalo. 
right. No one's, no one's even said it to me. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. No one's even said it to me out loud. This is bad. I feel like we should probably find this out. <laughs> no, this is actually funny. We should we should find out the official the official. I don't just don't know. I've never asked one of my editors. <laughs> I, st I still there's a threshold. It's like when you don't remember someone's name, you can't ask what yeah. it is again. Because it's been so long. It's like I just don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's the worst. Like it's 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 the point where I start texting mutual acquaintances and being like, well, we've had three conversations, so I can't ask them. But Actually, that reminds me. I've been meaning to ask for about sixteen years. Rachel is Adidin, Edidin, Adidin. How, how do you how do you do that? Listeners, you can't see the death glare I'm getting right now. Well, oh, 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 no. Well, Miles, if you're your grandparents, it's just Stokes. Anyway, yes, Russell, Chris, thank you guys so much for being on the show. You, you've both been on our list of guests we wanted to have, like, since almost since we started this thing. Forever. We, we'd and love we, to have you you both on again. Yeah, like, on an episode that we're actually prepared for and not all exhausted on. But thank you so much. You guys are fantastic. And thanks for giving us X-Books that we're really, really excited for again. Thank you. And thanks so much again for, for having us. This was great. And I love the podcast. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for having a podcast I can listen to while drawing X Men. Yes, exactly. Yeah, man, I, feel, was, I feel immersed. Oh, that's so cool. I feel like we're sort of weirdly part of the X universe. We're we're, we're never going to get over this. For the yeah, record. our heads are just you're going to start waiting. you're going to start seeing the octopus costume on everyone. Oh yes. man, we found out yes. that Lee Simonson had heard our podcast yesterday and completely freaked out. <laughs> oh my amazing. god. Yep. Anyway, um, thank you guys again. Um, you're amazing, and I suppose we should try to cobble together some kind of an outro. So, Rachel. Under normal circumstances, Rachel and Miles Explain the X-Men is recorded in Portland, Oregon, and produced by Bobby Roberts, so you can also hear on Welcome to That Whole Thing, and Full of Sith. This week, because we are in New York, it is recorded on our really shitty portable microphone, and still produced by Bobby Roberts, who is responsible for any degree of coherency that's actually there. Yeah, if you can actually understand what we're saying, that is 100% thanks to Bobby. So thanks, Bobby. We don't pay you enough, dude. We love you. You're amazing. You can find us every Sunday at rachelandmiles.com, on iTunes, and on Stitcher. Please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. And at rachelandmiles.com, check it out. Leave some comments. Uh, Rachel puts up a visual companion post to every episode we do. Those are definitely worth checking out. We are also on Patreon. That is how we can afford to do things like those midweek video reviews and the additional text posts and material and paying David to do the cool illustrations that you're seeing, which incidentally, he sells the original art from those. So if, for example, you find yourself really wanting that Aurora Queen of the Galaxy poster, like say you can have it and stroke it and lick it or whatever, you can do that. We will be back next week. We're going to look at the Kitty Pride and Wolverine miniseries. Check us out next week with that episode. And in the meantime, uh, Russell and Chris's work, please check it out. Again, that is respectively Thor and Uncanny X-Men, both books that are incredibly good right now, and uh, both books you should be buying every single week. Also, they're rad dudes, and they're on the social medias, and you should follow them because they're neat. Yes, and also if you see them at conventions, buy them drinks because we like them a lot. All right, take care, guys. We'll see you next time. Yeah.